Hello and welcome. You are listening to Gay with God, a safe place for us to share our stories and support one another. How long did we know? What challenges did we face? Did we lose our faith? When did we find our way back home? Are we still searching? The stories you hear in this podcast will melt your heart and can strengthen your belief that in God, all things are possible. And you can be authentically gay with God. I am your host, Midge Noble, and I am very honored that you are here. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Gay With God podcast. I'm so excited to bring you another guest today, and I'm so thrilled that you guys continue to support this podcast, and you share it, and you make comments, and I love to see the comments that you make on the podcast show page, so keep doing that. Keep supporting and sharing, and do a review. Don't forget, you can always do a review wherever you listen to your podcast, especially on Apple Podcasts, because that gives us more visibility. So anyway, let's get to the show. So to tonight, I say tonight. Tonight, I usually, it, because it's tonight. <laughs> Sometimes it's different times, but now it happens to me tonight. So tonight I have Mason Aid, and Mason's um, pronouns are they, he, and Mason is a diversity and inclusion consultant. They love educating Midwesterners who aren't quite sure where they stand on the whole LGBTQ thing and supporting them as they take the next baby steps towards allyship. So Mason loves writing hiking and spending time with their kiddo. And Mason, we've we've tried several times to get you on the Gay with Gosh, <laughs> the podcast. And I'm so glad that we were tenacious and we kept at it until everything worked out for your schedule. So thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate you being here. I'm excited to be here. I'm glad we were able to figure it out. Yes, me too. So um, I, I just want to know all about your story and your coming out faith journey story. So tell us your story, Mason. Okay. So I grew up very evangelical Southern Baptist mm. um, and in a rural community in the Midwest and really had no idea that I was LGBTQ until I was 23. I was the good little Bible thumper kid all through high school and, you know, went to church as many times as the doors were open in 2002. When I was 17, I started dealing with depression and started dealing with anxiety and really bad mental health stuff. And it culminated with me self-harming and ending up in the psychiatric ward for Mm -hmm. the first time. Um, that first hospital stay was kind of a crisis of faith moment because, I was this really good kid in this place Mm -hmm. with some people who weren't really good kids. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And it, it was really difficult. And after that, like my mental health stayed poor for, for years. And in 2004, I realized for the first time that I was attracted to a woman and I was like, Oh crap. (laughs) <laughs> and I basically like panicked and ran as far into the closet as I could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because, because in your, self- in your faith, in your faith, that wouldn't have flown. Oh, I was going far. to hell. Uh-huh. I was going to hell. You know, it's, I stayed in the closet. I ended up dating my best friend for like three years without realizing it. And then in 2007, I came to the University of Missouri and for the first time was in a town with an active LGBTQ community. Mm -hmm. 
And I was taking a sociology class that was all about social inequalities. And for the first time, saw a future as a person in the LGBTQ community. I saw that I could exist and that that was okay. And so from 2002 to 2008, or 2007, I was inpatient six times for mental health issues, suicidal ideation, self-harm. In 2004, I was applying for disability because I had just given up. Um, I, my parents were being prepared for me to live in a group home. And that was, that was my future. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that spring, it was actually, I think 2006, but that spring, my dad, who was a farmer would pry me out of bed with French toast and we'd go and build fence for cattle. And I found hope somewhere that spring mm-hmm. and decided to, to go to Mizzou and get my degree in sociology. So I did. And that fall, fall of 07, I had that oh crap moment where I knew I had to do something about this whole gay thing. I, I didn't know what the answer was. I was a member of very Calvinist um, evangelical church in, in my hometown at the time, knew that it wasn't going to fly with many people in my life. Mm-hmm. But I also knew that not coming out was going to cost me my life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I knew that I had to come out. And so I contacted the professor of my sociology class and said, let's get coffee. (laughs) So we got coffee. We met at Panera. And I, for the first time, said the words, I'm gay out loud. And she just smiled and said, I know. (laughs) And I realized that there were very few people who are going to be shocked by this revelation that I was having. (laughs) And I, that was... December of 07 and then fall of 2008, I was inpatient again for the last time for 11 years. Mm. And, you know, I truly believe that coming out saved my life. And Mm. after that hospital stay, I was formally excommunicated from my church and told I'm no longer welcome there. Um, Mm. I have since reconciled with some members of the church, but anytime I see anyone in the leadership, they like turn around and walk the other direction. Mm. Um, I was told that I was being handed over to Satan, which now is hilarious, but then was rather painful. Oh, sure. Um, And, and my older sister cut me out and now we might be reconciling and I don't know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. Mm. You know, and as far as my faith journey through all of that goes, like when I was coming out, I felt like I had three choices. I could either marry a man and pretend for the rest of my life, or I could be celibate, which I quickly realized was not the path for me, (laughs) or I could marry a woman and fall in love and have a kid and be happy. And, you know, for me, it, I'm not one to have theological debates, but for me, it comes down to And what does the Lord require of you, but to love mercy, do justice and walk humbly with your God. Mm. It always comes back to Micah six, eight for me, where it's like, what, how can I do this life the best I can? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I, I have what God has given me and nothing more. So I'm going to make the best of it. And, you know, I'm not going to argue Bible verses with anyone, Mm -hmm. I'm going to send them to my pastor and say, you know what? I'm not the person to have this conversation with you. 
but I'll love you. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll love you through this. I know you're grappling and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And after being excommunicated, I basically cut off the church in general as a whole and God for years. Um, there was a film festival in my hometown that uh, was all women fronted films and the, the, fil- the documentary Fish Out of Water played. And I went and watched Fish Out of Water, which is a documentary all about an LGBTQ woman and coming out. And while I was there, there was a pastor on the panel of a lesbian pastor of a local church. And I realized that maybe my faith and my sexuality weren't incompatible. Uh I ended up going to this church and almost having a panic attack and walking out the second I walked in the doors. Uh But I persevered because I knew there was something missing in my life. And that even through all of the pain of being excommunicated and losing my sister and her kids and the struggles that came with that, I can't shake this connection with the universal. Mm-hmm. You know, my faith, my faith is very different now from what it was when I was 16. And it's much healthier now than it was when I was 16. Mm-hmm. You know, Tell me the I, difference. Tell me the difference between the two. 16-year-old Mason was terrified of going to hell. Mm -hmm. And I believed that I was the worst sinner on earth who deserved nothing. And I would get angry with Jesus for dying for me because I didn't deserve to be be saved. Mm -hmm. And basically, I took that theology and my brain took it to a really unhealthy place where Mm -hmm. it was, I am... I am, I am shit. And, Mm -hmm. you know, only God can save me, but God shouldn't save me because I'm that bad. And I'm honestly still grappling with some of those beliefs and Mm -hmm. still grappling with what I believe and being Christian enough. Mm -hmm. And like, who am I to claim the term Christian when I have been called an apostate? I was the I was the bad apple that would spoil the bunch and was told mm. I couldn't be around other people because I would hurt them too much. Mm. And yet I found this church that believes in me and that loves me and that meets me right where I am. And my faith is something that I have tried to run from, just like I tried to run from my sexuality. Mm-hmm. And I can't. Yeah. I am a person of faith. My faith is now one of love and acceptance and abundance. And, you know, if someone asks me, like, I don't believe in a literal heaven or a literal hell anymore. I believe that heaven or hell are, are what you make of life on earth. Mm. And that when we die, we go into the ether and our legacy is what lives on, you know? So I, I do the work to impact people not so that I will live forever, but that's a part of it. Mm. I want to leave a legacy and I want to impact people because I know that there are so many people who saved me and so many people who are very good people and who love me and care about me, but also think I'm going to hell. Mm. And it's such a dichotomy to hold in your hands where you know that they love me, but they go to a church that says that I'm an abomination. I know. I know. And my, my question right now is how do I help people take just the next baby step? 
because the journey towards greater inclusion is not leaps and bounds at a time for the most part. Mm-hmm. It's like, huh, Mason's queer. I like Mason. What do I do with that? <laughs> like that's, you know, I've had conversations with people and I've been like, you know, I don't care if the only thing you take away from a presentation I do is that Mason's cool. And that's a little confusing. Mm-hmm. Good. Be confused. Think about it. Grapple with it. And then when you're done with that step, take the next one. Mm-hmm. You know, I think yeah. it's easy to try to push people down the path of allyship and not let them take it at their own step pace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we have to meet people where they are. Yeah. And we have to give people a chance to, to, and, and I know the word deconstruct is being passed around a lot these days, but we do need to help people. We, we need to give them time to kind of replace all of those things that they've always been taught because just like you and just like me, we were taught about the sin of homosexuality. We were fearful of it. We didn't want to go there. We would do anything in the world to stop ourselves from being gay, which of course doesn't work, but we tried, tried. we tried unsuccessfully real hard, real hard. (laughs) And, and so what, and, and that was us kind of knowing that something was going on inside of us that we were trying to push away, push away, push away other people who are in the Southern Baptist churches and other churches that believe that homosexuality is a sin. They are so scared, I think, and this is my opinion, but I'm a, I feel that they're afraid that if they align with us, they will go to hell for joining the sin that they were taught it was. So any type of enlightenment that they might have, then just like us, oh, I think it's good to be gay. Oh, God, no, I can't. I'm going to go to hell. And we go back and forth and back and forth. And I believe that those same people who condemn us are dealing with the same fear that we're going to go to hell and we can't do it. Oh, yeah. And that's the place where I, I wonder, how do we help people with that part of it? You know, and like you said, I don't, deal with scripture i just send it to the pastor and and i understand that completely because that that would take someone that really understands their fear and sits with that fear and their um disunderstanding of that before they could change it they can't change it as long as they still are holding on to the fear of hell exactly like i feel like my calling my work in the world is to meet people and to love them Mm -hmm. and to love them where they are, even if they think I'm an abomination, who's going to hell and Mm -hmm. to just say, okay, that's where you are. I was there too. You know, I mean, in 2004, gay marriage was on the ballot in Missouri where I live. I voted against it. Mm -hmm. I didn't know any better. Yeah. I was, I was ignorant in the best use of the word. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, I don't fault people for being ignorant Mm -hmm. because so often that's what the case is. It's Mm -hmm. not that they hate me. It's that it's what they've been taught their whole life and they don't know any different and they're ignorant. And so I'm going to, I'm going to give them the same grace that I would like to have been extended to 16 year old me Mm. because they are 16 year old me. Yeah. You know, it's, I, I see them. And I understand where they're coming from because that's where I came from too. Yeah, that's beautiful. I really appreciate that, Mason, because that's, 
you know, during the last political debacle that we had, I was quite angry that people that say they loved me would vote for someone that was trying to destroy my life and my wife and my marriage and, and everything that we had worked so hard to build. And it's hard to stand in that love when it's personal. And I, I appreciate your willingness to be there um, and to go there with people and, and whatever happens with your sister. I mean, that's, that's the other thing, you know, like you're, you're like, so what's it going to be? You know, is she coming yeah. for round two? <laughs> she just wants to do a little bit more pain or, you know, what's changed. So it's going to be very interesting to be able to, to stand in love and still get your needs met. Like, you know, possibly needing closure for what happened the last seven years or, you know, and, and that's what I missed out on. I never got closure from my brother because he re-entered and then just moved on. He didn't feel the need to communicate about the, the garbage that he left behind in my backpack. You know, I mean, there was just so much, but he doesn't feel the need to discuss it. That is the thing that I am in some ways most surprised by is that my sister is coming to me to open up the conversation and not to, okay, we're fine now. Let's move on. Ah, okay. Okay. Like I, I was very much expecting that if slash when she came around, it would never be talked about, Ah. but she is asking for conversation. And that is what gives me hope. I'll have the opportunity to set the boundaries and to say, I am who I am. I can't, I can't change who I am. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to change who I am. Mm-hmm. I tried that. I, it destroyed me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I am willing to make certain compromises that don't neglect my identity. Mm. And that's a, you know, that's a very thin line sometimes, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah. Like what to do about my name and pronouns with her. I don't know. Yeah. But I know I'm not going to push that at the beginning. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say, you know, I would really appreciate it if you would call me Mason and try to use he, him pronouns, Mm -hmm. but I'm not going to make a big deal out of it Mm -hmm. because ultimately I would rather have her in my life using the wrong language than not have her in my life. And I can tell you from, you know, I, you know, I said earlier that I'm 63 and And none of this was happening (laughs) when I was growing up. I mean, when I was growing up, I didn't even know about gay people in the beginning, except for what was talked about in church. I mean, I kind of had this very broad understanding and there were no known people who were transitioning. There were no pronouns other than the ones you were born with. And it has been a difficult journey for me in my to keep it's correct it really is and i i i, I so am hard. <laughs> i am 36 years old and one of my talking points is that i still get my own pronouns wrong <laughs> that and gives me true. hope <laughs> that gives me hope <laughs> i have been using they them pronouns since about 2010 mm-hmm. so about 12 years mm-hmm. i still mess them up sometimes well, you I know, still drop the she bomb and go, wait, <laughs> what did I just say? Uh, that's weird. Like, especially when I'm talking in third person to my daughter, like yeah. it will happen and I'll be like, huh, huh. that's not right. 
but I mean, like I see where it came from. I used that language for what, 30 years? Yes. That's a long time. Yes. And people that know you used that and identified with you in that way. And, and it is so hard to flip it. It is very hard yeah, to flip well, that's, it. Like my parents, <laughs> my parents try so hard <laughs> and they love me so much and <laughs> they just can't get it right. <laughs> they try so hard and they love me so much and they, they get all the grace in the world. So I'm glad that your parents, you know, are in relationship with you. That's wonderful. Yeah. My parents, it's been an interesting ride. Um, They have always been there and always been loving and always cared for me and never showed any hate or disdain or even intolerance. They've shown, they've been uncomfortable. They've been awkward, but they're small town people who grew up who were raised in the church. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't expect them to not be awkward about it because they're as uncomfortable as I was when I was coming out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one of my biggest realizations that really shifted the way I approached my parents and especially my mom, I had the realization that when I go visit them at the farm and we go out in the community, they have to come out too mm-hmm. as the parents of a trans kid. Mm-hmm. And they have to navigate their own social situations mm-hmm. as the parents of a trans kid. And when I am in their space, I give them the power to dictate how they introduce me, how they refer to me, because they know the person that they're talking to and they know whether it's safe for me to be out or not and whether it's safe for them to be out as the parents of a trans kid or not. Mm-hmm. And so, I realized that like, if I force them to always use the right language, always use the right pronouns, always, 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 that I was taking away agency from them being able to navigate the world as parents of a trans kid. You know, mm-hmm. I, there are many times that I have she, her used, and I don't correct people because I know it's not worth my energy. Yeah. I should give my parents that grace too. I love that. And it, and that opens up for me that you get to leave the farm. They stay in the community. They have to deal with the fallout after your visit. So what a beautiful gift that is Mason to give that to your parents. That's awesome. I, I went to my mom's retirement party and her coworkers didn't know that I had a kid Mm -hmm. and that broke my heart. Mm -hmm. And then I thought about it and I was like, Mom wasn't ready to be out at work as the parent mm-hmm. of a trans kid. And if they knew that I had a kid, they'd have to, oh, what's, what's her husband do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then mom would have the awkward conversation <laughs> of, well, her yeah. wife's the librarian. <laughs> and like, my mom would have to navigate that. And that's not fair to her. Right. Right. Like, that's not, that's not her battle to fight. Like, unless yeah. she wants to, if she wants to, great. But if she doesn't, if she wants to let it slide under the radar, I'm okay with that because she has to live there. I don't. Yeah. And it's, it's hard sometimes for us to navigate that conversation with people and come out to them at work or in the, in in community. And we have a little bit more savvy as far as, you know, putting the language together, but 
parents don't not yeah, not my, not some you know, of them i know there are very progressive parents out there that are like p flaggers and all in and yeah you know, they, they do and the like, work and <laughs> awesome awesome that's not my parents yeah they are and awesome that's okay. but that's not your parents <laughs> and yeah. that's okay my parents yeah. my parents love me so much mm-hmm. and i have never for a minute doubted their love for me mm-hmm. or their love for my daughter or their love for my co-parent Oh, that's so awesome. I have, you know, we just got back from a family reunion and afterwards we dropped my daughter off with my co-parent and mom walked around her house and yard and told her where the poison ivy was and just loved me, loved her, loved us, loved my kiddo. And there's never, I mean, the moment that I knew my parents were okay. So I got started doing LGBTQ advocacy work Um, with an LGBTQ teen group here in Columbia. And I received the Catalyst Award from the University of Missouri LGBTQ Center in 2015 or 2016. I don't remember which. Um, But regardless, my parents, my farmer dad and school librarian mom from the middle of nowhere, Missouri, showed up to this big rainbow celebration (laughs) on, on the campus of the University of Missouri and they clapped just as loud as anyone else did when my name was called. Aww. And the only comment my mom had afterwards was, I kind of needed a dictionary. <laughs> and that was it. And that was a really big moment for me where I was like, oh, my parents are okay. My parents are okay. I don't need to worry about them. They love me. Yeah. Yeah. And as a librarian, I'm sure she knows how to research and figure, you know, find some materials or, or she'd be open to materials to learn those words that she couldn't (laughs) understand at that. Yep. You know, and, and, you know, we talk about how things have changed so much in her life Mm -hmm. in regards to LGBTQ issues, because I mean, I'm, like I said, I'm 36 and things have changed tremendously in my yes. short life. Yes. Like, especially having grown up in a rural community, you know, rural communities are in some ways a decade behind the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. It feels like at least. Mm-hmm. So, you know, growing up in the nineties, I relate more to people who grew up in the eighties than I do people than people who grew up in the urban nineties. Yeah. Yeah, because that was more of my experience, mm-hmm. because growing up in a rural community, things just hit later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You have opened my eyes so much to some some it, it's almost feels like minor shifts, but they're huge. They're you know? massive. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And the work you do, how is that in the med- Midwest where you are? How is that received? When you go into, how do you, how do you even promote that? And who picks up on, yeah, we'd love to have you come and talk to us Um, about this. (laughs) It's, it's definitely a challenge. Uh Um, And I am in a place where I'm realizing that maybe this is a passion project and not a business. Uh, uh And maybe I speak, speak publicly, do TEDx talks, show up and speak and hope that the right people are in the seats. Mm, mm. And, you know, like I'm speaking at a local church in June for pride month and 
you know, I'm not sure what this consultancy, what this business is, or if it's even a business or if it's just what I do for love, Mm -hmm. because I love having conversations with people with whom I disagree with on very fundamental things Mm -hmm. and seeing them get confused because I know that confusion is the first step. Seeing them wrestling with the fact that they really like me and think I'm a good person (laughs) and I am trans and visibly queer and I'm open about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I did a presentation once where a 73 year old former Missouri senator um, came up to me afterwards and said, Mason, I don't know how you do it. It was like, in one breath, you're this radical LGBTQ activist. And then the next year, just a, just an ordinary kid from Shelby County, Missouri. (laughs) And I'm like, well, it's because I'm both. Yeah. I love the Midwest. I love these people. I love the farm. I love going home and seeing my parents and seeing the people there, even the ones who have Trump signs in their yards, because I know they're good people. They just don't know. Mm -hmm. And I can forgive ignorance. If somebody is intentionally awful to me, I'm done with them. Mm-hmm. But if they're unintentionally awful to me, they just don't know any better. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give them the grace that I was extended by many people when I was coming out, when I used the wrong language and didn't know how to talk about anything because I was, you know, a 23 year old kid coming off the farm. I have been out since 2008. And in some ways, I still don't feel like I fit in the queer community. Mm. In what way? I don't know how to describe it. I think there is just a degree of lingering discomfort, mm-hmm. you know, from, from the way I was raised and from not necessarily the way I was raised from the church I was raised in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like my parents didn't ever say anything bad about anybody, but the church that I was in did. Mm-hmm. And I think there's still, you know, internalized homophobia, internalized transphobia is a, is a real thing. Oh, it is. Especially when you come from a conservative Christian background. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've talked about that on the show too, because it, people don't understand that, that we were wounded so much from that church's position and that we harbored that in our soul. The last thing we wanted to do was go against the God that we were learning you know, about, and we certainly didn't want to go to hell. So we definitely hated ourselves, I think, internally and sometimes externally because Mm -hmm. we put the wounds on the outside that we feel on the inside. And when that happens, then we're crying out for clarity. We're crying out for some sort of help. And um, that doesn't just go away once you figure out you're gay. It no. does. It just doesn't. And um, it comes back in surprising times. Like I can be, I can feel so powerful. You, you mentioned Trump and, and I know before that I was really on my groove and I was opening up this coaching practice, you know, to help the LGBTQ community. And I was, you know, doing all these things and feeling really worthy. And then Trump happened. <laughs> and it's like, I just took this dive into this black abyss. I could not figure out how to go against the the amount of hate and violence that was coming up out of that i couldn't figure out how to save the things we had worked for and and then 
all the doubt came back. Like if all of these people <laughs> are railing against us yet again, what if we're wrong? You know, that always comes up. What if we're wrong? My belief is that if I am wrong, I believe in a loving, merciful God who will see me and see the work that I have done and see how hard I have tried and how, how deeply I have loved. You know, it's the greatest commandment of these is to love the Lord, your God, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. Okay. I feel like I'm doing my best to do that. Yeah. And when it boil, when, when you boil it down in my heart, that's what, that's what Christianity is. And that's mm-hmm. what God and Jesus are about. Mm-hmm. So for me to love fully with my whole heart, it is with women. And that love is just as beautiful as any other love. Mm-hmm. And okay, cool. You know, if I, I don't live in fear of hell in the way that I did before. I live in fear of being seen as something I am not. Mm. Because I am not the picture that was painted of who the LGBTQ community is. Mm -hmm. I am boring. (laughs) I mean, I go on hikes. I play with my kid. I go to work. I cook dinner. I don't go to pride. I don't wear like, I'm just your average Joe. I just happen to be trans. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's nothing that radical about my life when you really boil it down. The most radical thing about me, I don't know, probably is that I am trans and that I simply exist. I'm not what I was afraid of, not who I was afraid of becoming. I am exactly the same person. I'm just healthier and happier. Mm-hmm. I also, to add on to what you said about loving God and love your neighbors yourself, and that you believe in a loving, merciful God, I also believe that that loving, merciful God created us to be who we are. And I'm not talking about male or female. I'm talking about the path that we're to take in this world to open the eyes of other people, that everybody in the LGBTQ community has a special calling to live the lives that we were innately created to live, to allow others to open their eyes and find compassion for differences. And to just see the beauty and the diversity of the world. Yes. Like I, I love my flamboyant, super radical out there friends. I love (laughs) my buttoned up. Nobody would know your gay friends. Mm -hmm. Uh, We all have a space and a place in this world. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, I can never figure out how to say this without conveying something that is untrue. I am in some ways conservative in my dress, in my actions, in my attitudes, not in my politics, not in my religion, but I feel like that is a part of why my work has been so successful is because I am not scary. Mm -hmm. I am not what people expect. Mm -hmm. I mean, like I have, I have Micah six, eight tattooed on my arm. And so when I worked as a barista, I would hand these conservative pastors, their tall, dark roasts, and they'd look at my arm and they'd look at me and then they'd look at my arm and then they'd look at me. And with this really confused look on their face, they'd say, I like your tattoo. And those are the moments I live for <laughs> because those are the moments that I know I'm having an impact. Yes. When somebody who I know is entrenched in that mindset goes, 
this person is very obviously queer and they have a Bible verse tattooed on their arm. Surprise. (laughs) This doesn't make sense to me. And I love those moments because those are the moments we need. Those are the moments that minds and hearts are changed. Yes. Yes. People are like, but you're, you're just like me. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I am. I am. My, my life is not a series of rallies and pride parades. My life is a messy house playing magnet tiles with my kid and going on adventures, like in nature, going on hikes. Like that's, that's it. And I think that's, that's brilliant because that, you know, my only exposure early on were some newsreels of gay prides with really scary, flamboyant, half-dressed people. And I, I didn't even know I was gay at the time. I didn't come out until 30, by the way. And so I had no clue, but that was my picture of what it was. Exactly. And the first time that I went to an LGBTQ church, the first thing the pastor did was introduce me to people who were teachers and lawyers and, you know, that happened to go to that church. And I think that she was trying to get me to understand that I am like everybody else at the church, that I was a school counselor at the time. I worked at the school. I was doing my thing. You know, I, like you did not have this life of glitz and flamboyancy and out there and, I just did my job and I came home. Um, I just happened to be definitely in love with the woman that I didn't even know I was in love with. And I just always called her my very best loving friend, (laughs) best friend (laughs) for so many years. (laughs) Well, I have never like I have dated men, but I have never fallen in love with men. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Find men attractive, but I don't want a relationship with one because we just approach the world from such different ways. Mm-hmm. And there are some really great men out there mm-hmm. and I want to be their buddies, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it, it's just, you know, I look back at the crushes I had on guys, the air quote crushes. Right. And it was all like, Oh, right. I'm supposed to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I was actually like, oh, I need to check the box. Yes. Yes. And we played the game. Like you said earlier, we played the game. That's one of the choices. You can play the game. And, uh, you know, the one person that I would have probably married and we talked about it. He took me to his mama's house. We saw the place where our land would be. That's where our house would go. And the whole time I'm getting more and more nauseous. (laughs) And I thought, oh, I must be so excited because I'm about ready to puke. Um, but he, (laughs) but he broke up with me just out of the blue and sent me through my own tailspin of insecurities and doubt and problems. Um, and years later, way later on Facebook after just after Facebook had come through and I finally got on it, he connected with me and wanted to friend me. And I'd gone to a Christian college because I was going to be a missionary and do something. Because, you know, that's how you go to heaven. 
is if you walk the dusty roads of Damascus, God must love you. So that was my little delusion. So, but he broke up with me and later he connected with me. And like everybody that went to my college, I would say, okay, that's fine. If you want to friend me on Facebook, but just so you know, I'm gay and I'm out. And if that offends you, you cannot, you can take your friendship request back and I won't be offended. I just want you to have full disclosure. And so he says, well, why do you think I'm friending you? You know, I'm gay. And I'm like, oh, no, I didn't. No, no, I didn't. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was it was like the shock of my life. And and he said, come on now, you had to have known. I said, I really didn't know. And he goes, Midge, he said, I knew I was gay, but I couldn't tell you because of where we were. And I didn't want that to be a problem for either of us to be gay on campus. And um, and he said, and I would have married you. I plan to marry you because I love you and you make me happy. I, I just wasn't in love with you. And I knew that somewhere down the line, after we got married, I would break your heart and I didn't want to do it. And I said, God, but the things I went through after you did that, I don't know which would have been worse, but, um, but it was so, it was so freeing to know that that love that I had for him as my brother, almost, I mean, I loved him, but I was not sexually attracted or in love with him. And he, you know, he couldn't do it either. And for those yeah. of us who got out of that, that we didn't marry and develop a family that we had to break up and leave later, I feel so grateful that I didn't, yeah. for whatever reason, I think God knew that that would have probably destroyed me too, because I wouldn't, I don't know what I would have done, but yeah. you know, I was able to get physically sick. Anytime I dated someone and it got close to being physical, I would get physically sick on the date and have to end the date and go home. And that happened about, I don't know, five or six times. And, and then I just quit dating until I met this guy and we just had this kismet because we're just so, we just so like each other so much, but that's all mm -hmm. it was, was a, a, a love, you know, just a yeah. brother, sister love, but yeah. Friend love, friend love friend is a love. thing. That's right. Oh my gosh, Mason. I have enjoyed this conversation so much. And I am so glad that, that you continue to try so hard <laughs> to work these schedules out so that we could do this. Cause I, I really appreciate this conversation. So as I do with all of my guests, I, I want you to, to have the final say of what, what's left to say of your story or what you would want um, someone else to, to know that you wish you had been told early on that would have helped you with your struggle. It's okay to be where you are. Oh, I love that. It's okay to be in the struggle. You, you have to grapple with this stuff to get through it. Mm -hmm. And therapy is great. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. You're going to be more than okay. You just got to get through the rough time. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That was beautiful. Thank you. And thank you for being here. I really appreciate you coming and honoring us with your story. And I want to thank our listeners for coming back each week, supporting and sharing and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to see more information and links to connect with Mason, go to the Gay With God show page at empoweredmidge.podbean.com. And I'm going to be listing some things there. If you are questioning whether you can be gay and be in relationship with God, if you are authentically on the LGBTQIA spectrum, God has always been within you. Even when you didn't know it, you have always been gay with God. Thank you, everybody. See you next week. Stay tuned and find out how you can join the Gay With God 
um, community. Sorry about that. <laughs> Join the Gay With God community. You'll find people there that know you. <laughs> See you next week, guys. I want to invite you to become a part of the Gay With God community. How can you do that? Stay connected by messaging me your thoughts and comments in the comment section under the downloads of the show on the Gay With God show page. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen and share, share, share so we can increase our community outreach and be a light to those who are struggling to claim their faith. Consider being a sponsor so I can highlight your service in our community. We are all worthy of respect and a relationship with the God of our understanding. I want to thank you in advance for supporting this podcast. Together, we as a community will keep this show visible and our community stronger. Deep gratitude to my friend Tim McClendon of Tim McClendon Music for allowing me to use an excerpt from Interlude 4, a song found on his CD entitled Sundance.